This week's episode is brought to you by ThatKevinSmithClub.com. That's right, man. If you can't get enough of the sound of my voice, then you could surf on over to ThatKevinSmithClub.com, join up, watch Wake and Bake five days a week, listen to Plus One, so much more. ThatKevinSmithClub.com. What are you waiting for? Join the club. Welcome to Smodcast, I'm Kevin Smith! We are with a live crowd here in Hollywood, on Hollywood Boulevard, at the Movies Pop-Up, celebrating 420. Who's high, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, we're the Dudes Brewing Company right on Hollywood Boulevard. They're hosting the Movies Pop-Up uh, this year for, for a few days. And with the space they have, the voluminous space, um, we felt like, my God, well, I think we could pull off a show if we want to do a show and stuff. And we were trying to figure out what show to do. And uh, a little while ago, I guess it was maybe last year, you probably have to thumb through my Instagram to figure it out. I, I had a great friend of mine, one of my favorite fucking performers on the planet, one of my favorite artists, I should, sh- should say, on the planet, uh, come over to the house. And the intent was we were going to finally podcast. I've been podcasting since 2007 is when I first started doing Smodcast with Moj, February 2007. So I'm on my, what, 15th year now and stuff. Um, thank you. Yes. Um, I, fuck, I love this job because I'm just like, I woke up today and people are like, yeah. <laughs> I recorded a feed podcast for 15 years. You're like, do it. You're a genius. Genius would have been figuring out how to make money off this shit. Like Joe. Um... <laughs> Okay, so uh, uh, this buddy of mine came over to the house and we wound up just bullshitting in my office where I record podcasts with microphones like right fucking in front of us, but we never hit record and we just talked for like five fucking hours and had a good time. And I was like, should we start the podcast? He's like, I'm high. Um, (laughs) He wasn't even smoking. He was just in the room with me, Uh, but wound up fucking smoking so we didn't get to do a podcast that night and i was like god damn it sooner or later i'm gonna sit him down and talk to him uh this is uh, a poor substitute for what i see as the ultimate podcast with the guy i'm gonna talk to i would need 10 hours to get up in this kid's heart and fucking soul man as somebody who i look at as one of the architects of my entire career like it wasn't just me you know, I had an idea about like, I want to make a fucking movie called Clerks and shit like that. But Clerks doesn't make it. Stop it. Uh, 
Clerks does not a career make. That's first time. It's a magic trick. That's pulling a quarter from behind somebody's ear. And they're like, you're fucking clever and stuff. Um, the career begins when you make a second film. And so if you look at the second film, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of paved the path for the next 10 years of my filmmaking, um, i.e., I would work with three actors um, from Mallrats alone who I would then take over into Chasing Amy and then two of them come over into Dogma and then they all came back for a strike back and stuff. So not only is uh, this cat like one of my favorite actors and one of my favorite actors in my stuff, but just one of my favorite actors on the planet as well because he's done other movies and, and programs that, that have nothing to do with me and he shined in those as well. Um, but like he's he's also a collaborator who helped me build all this shit you know i didn't sit him down and tell him like your role is important man because this shit's gonna go on for a quarter of a century at least i promise you but you know i don't get to a view universe without you know building the world full of characters and clerks is a very tough movie to follow in as much as like it was magical they're like what you got next and the next thing i gave him in the moment you know they didn't they didn't know what to do with and then years later they were like oh we love this and shit and it became what people think of it as today but it births the view universe right like suddenly there's more than just the characters and clerks suddenly these characters over here know those characters and finding out who like Brody was, was so integral for what I would do for the rest of my life. Think about it. I, I, once I started playing with the character of Brody, everything about Brody is still relevant, not just to my career, but to the fucking world today. Guy played a character that was a prototype for what the world would actually become and look like. Um, that's magical shit for me because when I think of my career, even if I'm thinking of something brand new that we're making like fucking Clerks 3, I could trace it all back to the people who were there with me at the beginning. So I could do easily 10 hours with this cat. Uh, tonight, we're probably going to get about two. Um, and it's only going to take us to chasing Amy, I would imagine. Um, it is my great pleasure uh, and a thrill and a real hoot and a holler um, to be welcoming to the stage in a live format for the very first time on a podcast with me, uh, but not the very first time on a podcast, which we'll talk about when he gets up here. Ladies and gentlemen, um, give it up for one of the greatest artists I've ever had the pleasure to tread the boards with. Um, a, a man whose smile is worth a million dollars, whose reaction whose reaction to you when you make him laugh makes you feel like the funniest, most clever person in the world. A man who captured my heart when he said the words black mass. <laughs> Please give it up for the one and only Chasing Amy's Jason Lee.
that, that, that actually got me a little bit choked up, Kevin. <laughs> That's, that's because of the secondhand high that you have already. I ha yeah, I have one already just from the two puffs you did up upstairs. <laughs> He's such a lightweight. Um, oh, oh, yeah. This is uh, the thing I love about uh, Jason Lee. Like, he comes up and the first thing is just is like, that really like, made me, like, touched me. We uh, did, the first time we were ever on a stage together, because um, we didn't really do much promoting of mall rats in front of people. Um, that was the problem with mall rats. There was not a lot of people to be in front of. So it wasn't like we went on the press tour and shit like that together or whatever. I think the first time I was ever on stage with you was we were in production for Chasing Amy. And NYU was having a screening of mall rats. And they were like, Can, come do a Q&A. And in those days, if you were a college and you were showing my movie and you were like, we're showing your movie, I would just fucking go, especially if I could drive there from wherever I was and stuff. Never occurred to me to ask for money or anything like that. Like, I was just like, especially with mall rats, I was like, I guess I owe them or something. And, and it wasn't until like years later, I was doing a gig at uh, Rutgers one day and you know, I would do like four hour Q and A's and I would bring like uh, unaired episodes of the Clerks cartoon to show the audience and shit. And then I go outside, grab a cigarette while that was going on. And the people who run those activities, the student activity center, there's always a rep, a, uh, you know, a kid in college who's excited to see you and stuff. And so this kid was going, uh, talking to me while I was smoking out back. And uh, she was like, man, you, you're, you talked you're for two hours already, two and a half hours. And I was like, yeah, and I'm not, I'm just getting started. Ha, ha, ha. And uh, she was like, you talk way longer than Janine Garofalo talked. And I was like, Janine, oh, Janine's done one of these? You know, because I think at that point I'd already worked with Janine in, in Dogma. And, you know, Janine's a comic, and, and so she does the circuit as well. And she was a huge uh, collegiate favorite. So I was like, oh, Janine's been here? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she only did an hour. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, you know, I guess she's a comedian, so she has a set, and that's probably what she does. And she's going, yeah, but she charged 20 grand. You didn't charge anything. <laughs> and I was like, wait, fucking $20,000 for one hour of work to do something I've been doing all this time? Like, fuck. So, um, and at that point I was like, well, that is, I'm not doing this shit anymore. From now on, they're going to pay my gas if I fucking come. <laughs> and for like two years, I went anywhere and I was just like, you owe me $78. <laughs> like okay here you go so i'm used to going up on stages and stuff uh nyu asked me hey we're showing mall rats uh come speak so we were in uh alphabet city in manhattan lower manhattan in the village going uh shooting the meow mix scene uh at the bar where jason has the amazing turnaround where he's like first just watching this woman sing bitterly and shit and then when she starts kissing another girl, his, you're, you're fucking, how you light up like Christmas is like this. <laughs> oh, it's just such a fucking thing of beauty. So we're shooting that scene and I'm talking to the kids. Uh, you know, I'm like, hey, so we got to wrap up, uh, you know, as tight as we can tonight because I'm going... Uh, over at NYU going to Tish. They're showing mall rats. And I was like, do you guys want to go? Because you were all in mall rats. And Joey, who I was dating at the time, was like, don't I see you enough? 
And uh, Ben instantly jumped out because he was like, an audience? Yes. And so he, he came and Jason Lee was like, that sounds really fun. All right, let's do that. Very thoughtful, very measured. So we get there and, you know, they just finished the movie and Mallrats, even though it had like died at a box office, like only six months, seven months before, playing at NYU in front of fucking NYU students in 1995, which included uh, a young Adam Goldberg who would go on to make the Goldbergs and stuff like that. Because um, he told me years later, he's like, I was there when Jason Lee gave that Q&A and, and we, people still talk about it. So we're on stage, you know, we come out and it's like, the audience is going crazy, loving, like they just coming off of the movie and shit, welcome me. And I'm like, you know, kids, we're, we're shooting a movie like down the street. So I brought some of the cast of Mall Rats with me, man. Give it up for Joey Lauren Adams. And so I bring her out and they're like, ah, and shit. And I'm like, and give it up for, he's a mean old man. Give it up for Ben Affleck. And he came, first they were like, who? And then when he, when they're like, oh, it's the fucking Shannon Hamilton. They're like, yeah. And they, Polite applause and shit like that. But when I was like, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, Brody Bruce himself, give it up for Jason Lee. You would, this is what I imagine. I was raised, you know, in a Catholic household. I was a Catholic school student, altar boy, and I've been forced to read the Bible many times. Um, not bad as far as superhero stories go, but like <laughs> Marvel and DC got him beat by a mile and shit. Um, so, um, in the, uh, in, in, in the Bible, they talk about when Jesus comes, uh, into Jerusalem right before they crucify him, um, right around this time, um, just past good Friday and all that shit, bad Friday for him. So, uh, he comes into Jerusalem and they're like, oh, hail the King of the Jews. He's here. Fucking and that's not my word. That's in the Bible. I'm not. So, you know, everyone's celebrating Christ. Christ comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. People are waving palms at him. That's the origin of Palm Sunday. That is how I always imagined, like, the reaction was when Jason Lee walked onto the stage at NYU. I was like, this is exactly what happened when Jesus <laughs> entered Jerusalem on an ass. He rode ass into Jerusalem and they're like, look at this fucking genius. So he comes in and fucking the crowd is going nuts, like crazy nuts, where I'm like, wow, man. They, fuck, they just watched this dude slay for 90 minutes. Like he's the hero of the movie and shit. They all identify with him and whatnot. He's their mirror for heaven's sakes. And so he comes up and fucking everyone's like, ah. And I was like, all right, let's, uh, yeah, you've all heard from me before. Let's start with some questions for the kids. And the first question is somebody who's like, you know, I just want to ask Jason Lee this question. And it was a Brody oriented question. And you know, the whole audience leans forward because they've just watched him kill for like 90 minutes. They're like, what the fuck's he going to say now? And we hand Jason the mic and I'll never forget this. It's just, it's who Jason is. He takes, takes the mic and he's sitting on the floor with his legs crossed on the stage. And he goes, I just want to take this opportunity to acknowledge Kevin for putting me in that movie. It was really, it was really good of him. Thanks, man. <laughs> and the audience was like, he's appreciative. Yeah! 
Um, all right, enough about me. I, you can take I, the I'll mic tell off. You why, I'll tell you why. Yeah. Uh, uh, that would have been my reaction. Um, uh, <laughs> hi. Now, when I see you with the mic in your hand, I want to see you say, now, Silent Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think anybody can relate to this. The, the idea of being in a movie is sort of like the biggest thing that you could possibly do, right? I think, you know, I was a professional skateboarder and that was my dream. Uh, that was my dream since I got my first skateboard in 1977 when I was seven years old. Uh, and then, you know, I, I thank God I was a, a, I, that was a part of the journey and it was just incredible that that actually happened. Um, uh, but, you know, in terms of like the bigger world, you think of movies as sort of like the biggest or, you know, maybe being like a professional baseball player or, you know, an act, you know, very that's glamorous, a, very that's like a oh, big shit. deal, like yeah. to be in a movie. I mean, you know, you get a Kellogg's commercial and your family's proud of you. You know, you do a cornflakes commercial and they write there, they, they, you know, they, you write home about it. But a movie is like on another level. And the fact that I was actually in a movie was just absolutely shocking to me. So that would have been my that 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 response was 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 real, was honest, because I was I'm still surprised that this guy put me in a movie. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. It's weird. I just fell down a rabbit hole where I was like, what did I want more to be in a movie or be on a cereal box? Because I, I watched a lot of movies, but I ate a lot of cereal and the notion of like eating cereal and I'm on the box. That would have been amazing. Um, let me take me back. Where are you from originally? Where were you born? I was born in Orange, California. That's down there in Orange County. <laughs> you said that in such a way that you were waiting for a reaction. You're like Orange, California. <laughs> <laughs> now, orange, Silent orange. Bob. Now, Silent Bob. <laughs> uh, and then I uh, grew up in Huntington Beach, and that's really where the skateboarding became uh, important to me. And As you just said, seven years old, that's when you first got a deck? Yeah, I got a, a, a plastic, one of those plastic, like, cruiser banana boards from Kmart or Fedco. If anybody remembers Fedco. Um and my brother and I got, my brother's two years older, we got, my mom was kind enough to buy us skateboards and that was it. And I still have a drawing to this day mm. that my mom saved because my mom saves everything. I did a drawing at that age uh, of me on a skateboard and I wrote, I like me, I can ride a skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you were sincere at that age as well. <laughs> Not a hint of irony. Like some people might see that and be like, I like me. This kid's joking around. <laughs> Young Jay Lee is like, It's a big deal. Like, like I can me. ride a skateboard. That's a big deal. Most people get on one and they break their tailbone. I could actually roll on it. Oh, this, there might be something here. And then I turned pro when I was 18. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Fucking okay. don't jump from age seven to 18. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck happened? Talk about my teenage porn career first. <laughs> yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> You did a lot of fucking guy on guy stuff. Let's talk about it. What when you got <laughs> when you got got that first uh, board uh, in seventy seven? Uh, what when you're like I went pro at eighteen? Yeah. 
what are you doing between then and just being a kid in high school and yeah, skating going around? to school and, and going to school and skating but i also played baseball i played ba little league every year and and then you know and we also my brother and i we raced bmx bikes at the local uh bmx tracks so you're an outdoorsy kid yeah like you know like 70s southern california like, like the kids like in the skate, bad news bmx bears. you know um and uh you know, at one point I had super feathered hair and I'd carry a comb around in my back pocket and I'd wear like Van Halen t-shirts. Uh, the first record we got uh, at Licorice Pizza um, was- you went, to, you went to the actual Licorice Pizza? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a, a small chain of Southern California uh, record shops. Licorice Pizza, yeah. It was on uh, Golden West and uh, Edinger. Um, and my brother and I were in the, in the 70s. We walked to Licorice Pizza. We had saved up some money and we bought Kiss Double Platinum. Oh, shit. On vinyl. So go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Nung. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I got my next skateboard at 13. Wait, it was it from oh, seven to 13? You want skateboard? to talk about eight and then nine until you want to like, what do you want to do, Kevin? What the fuck? <laughs> no, but did you only have that one banana board skateboard until 13? And then, yeah, exactly. Because it wasn't every single day, right? right? We were skating. We were also, you know, school sports, you know, BMX bikes, all of that kind of stuff. Um, you and sound like a kid from like a Richard Linklater movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, it sounds like you could have been in days, well, days confused. It was you were also like the, the ET vibes. Like that kind of like 70s, 80s suburbia. Everybody's out on their BMX bikes and stuff. It was it was a lot like that, too. So if there was ever like dirt, empty dirt lots next to like the Vons or something, we'd build, you know, uh, jumps and stuff out of dirt and all that stuff. It was it was really fun. Skateboarding was common. It was a common thing to do uh, around that time in, in Southern California. And then 13, I got more into it. And then I started uh, getting boards from a friend got like uh, flawed boards from a skate company called Madrid and they were like warped or they were like, you know, like the, the seconds, the seconds that you would throw out or sell at a discounted rate. Mm. So I'd get money from my mom and I'd give him like five or seven bucks and he'd give me a deck and I'd go to the local skate shop and I'd put grip tape on, you know, and I started skating, skating, skating every single day and i did well in school but my senior year i wasn't going to graduate because I, I i think you have to have a certain amount of points to graduate is that is that right credits sorry uh, i don't re that was a you long time ago you can tell old men were like what is that building called credits. a school i said mom i don't i don't have enough credits i don't think i'm going to graduate but i really just want to try this skateboarding thing but I didn't really have anything lined up. I think at that point I would get free stuff from a skate shop in Huntington Beach, but I didn't really have any pr real prospects. So I said, Mom, I'm not interested in school. I don't think I have enough credits to graduate. I don't want to disappoint you, but I, it's just not my bag. I really just want to skate. And she had lots of faith in, in that. She was disappointed, but she ultimately wanted to support me. And, and then, you know, I was able to somehow make, make that happen and um and that was 1980 88-ish I got sponsored and then I turned pro like 89 88 89 had wh who did you look to as a skater who was before you Mark Gonzalez does anybody know the Gons yeah and then where where where's where is Tony Hawk and you 
Well, we were, we, of course we watched all the skate videos. We watched the Bones Brigade video show. We watched Search for Animal Chin. We watched all the Powell Peralta videos. Those were the big videos, the vision videos. These are names from my childhood. Right. And so we all love Tony Hawk and Rodney Mullen and Tommy Guerrero and Lance Mountain and, and the Bones Brigade and Steve Caballero and, and then Mark Gonzalez. And then there were other skate. And, you know, we were just we were trying to emulate those guys. Why we? I mean, there was obviously no social media and all of that stuff. So you'd get a VHS tape, you'd watch a video, you'd get all stoked and go out and skate and try to learn tricks. Yeah. Bung. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of bung, like, did you ever fall off, hurt your bung? Is it a dangerous oh. sport? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I cracked my pelvis, I broke my wrist, I sprained my ankles, cut up my shins, got stitches, knocked my head around. It's yeah, for sure. Did you roll with a crew? Oh yeah, I had a tight crew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the Huntington Beach homies. Yeah, we yeah, and I skated with guys in Huntington and then in Long Beach as well. Yeah, LBC. And did you um get uh, uh well, well done local shout out. Well done. <laughs> did you when when you got sponsored, did others in your crew get sponsored or was it just you? Yes, others did. Uh a couple of them, yep. And then... And what does that mean? Like somebody saw you and they're like, you know what? Skate for us. Yeah, and they basically give you skateboards and t-shirts, stickers, whatever, and they might put you in an ad in, in a magazine or something. Is there any money or no? No, just free product, really. Really? Yeah. And that counts as professional? No, that's like when you get sponsored, right? And right. then you turn pro, which I did in 88 before I turned 19. Uh, and then you get your name on boards, you know, you design board graphics. How does one, do you make the choice to turn pro or they're like, you are pro turn. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of just like, you're ready. <laughs> Ascend. He's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Ollie, the universe. Yeah. Could you it, ollie shit? Oh, I ollied mad shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you think the most dangerous thing you ever did? Like, you know, how Bart Simpson jumped over the canyon in the <laughs> Springfield. Did you ever try that? The, the, I think the scariest stuff is like skating in San Francisco, like bombing the hills and stuff. Ew. Yeah, because you're just kind of like going and there's nobody really monitoring traffic. So you just hope that when you go through the intersection down below, there's not a car or a bus coming by. That's kind of dangerous. Um, jumping downstairs and, you know, having your, your fun zone impact a handrail, you know, uh, as you try to board slide down a handrail and you meet, you know, you kind of meet in the middle there. Uh, that's not fun. <laughs> but, you know, uh, ironically, just simply rolling your ankle hurts. You know, you're like ollieing down a flight of stairs and your front foot slips off the front of the board and your ankle rolls. Ugh. That's not fun. Um, but it's worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it for sure. When uh, when you went pro, does that involve money? Is that when somebody's like, here's cash? Yeah. I mean, basically now it's crazy. Now pro skaters are multi, multi-millionaires, a lot of them, because of Red Bull and Monster Energy and Nike skateboarding and Igloo coolers. I mean, there's just a, a myriad of you know s s sponsors out there. 
for us, it was really just board royalties. So we'd get $2 a board. So if we sold 2,000 boards in a month, we'd get a $4,000 check. It wasn't a ton of money by today's standards. Again, like Nigel Houston, I think, drives Lamborghinis and shit. He's like a big time pro skater who probably makes five million bucks a year. I, I don't know. It's crazy. It's a different time now. Uh, first through the door doesn't get the money. They get the bullets. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So how I remember when I met you and we're going to get to that. But when I met you, you told me, um, you know, I was a professional skateboarder. I just retired after nine years or whatever the mm -hmm. fuck. Is that what it was? Did you have a nine-year professional career? Maybe like seven years. Yeah. And the you at that point, you had risen to the height of the sport, to say the least. You had your own brand of sneaker. Yeah. You had airwalks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was, I guess, as high as you could go next to like a Tony Hawk who's super, super world famous, you know? What, um, what made, why'd you decide like, you know what? Fucking I'm done. I want to step off the board. I mean, I talked about. I did. Uh, does anybody ha have ever watched the Nine Club? It's a, it's a, it's a skateboarding podcast. I recently did that for the first time. That was a lot of fun. And I talked a little bit about that on the Nine Club. And it's something that I think skateboarders can relate to. But in the '90s, 25 years old was a lot older than it is nowadays in skateboarding. Right? Mm. Like now, like I'm 52 on Monday. I turned 52 on Monday. Thank you very much. <laughs> Look at uh, they're applauding the fact you've been able to stay alive. And I still skate, right? I still skate and, you know, like everybody skates. It's just a different time now. Uh, old tricks have come back. Skaters skate transitions, street, like skateboarding is so well-rounded now. Um, it's just a different time. It was a little bit more sort of serious back then. And 25 was a lot older than it is now. And I just kind of felt like, I just don't want to do it anymore. I, 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 I want to skate. I just don't want to be a pro skater anymore. There were tons of amazing skateboarders coming up and I just was too lazy to keep up to, to be honest. Um, but you know, it was, it was ignorant too, because I thought, well, I, I, I have to just quit. You know, in retrospect, I realized I could have just kept skating, but you live and you learn. Um, so yeah, I was kind of wanted just, a sense of finality. Like yeah, I, I think that so. Like I, I didn't want to milk it. I felt bad. Like I'm not out there every day grinding like these young kids that are coming up. So I'm just going to step aside and and let them kind of do their thing, not realizing then that I didn't need to do that necessarily. Mm -hmm. I could have just kept going, but it is what it is, and it's a part of the way things have sort of unfolded. Um, but before I uh, retired from skateboarding, I was getting sort of an itch to to, to try acting why coen brothers yeah watching a lot they of skate as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah joel has a mean kickflip man <laughs> he does it dryly um <laughs> coen brothers joke um really so just being a fan of the coen brothers movies which one well, i was raising uh, arizona uh barton fink the fuck seriously of all the flicks that's one that I, I had you know i had a lot of vhs tapes and mark gonzalez he turned me on to that stuff it was really amazing Li i lived with mark gonzalez he's two years older than me and he was one of those guys that was so important to skateboarding because he wasn't just like athletically skateboarding he was very artistic he was listening to a wide variety of music he turned me on to jarmouche films he turned me on to paris texas 
And I've, I've been a fan of Vim Vendors ever since. He turned me on to John Coltrane, all the jazz stuff. And he was that uh, example for us. He was mm. that sort of mentor. He had good taste. He had really good taste. And one of the best styles in skateboarding. And he's basically the, he's the founding father, the godfather of street skating. Um, I forgot what I was going to say, and I'm not even stoked. Movies, movies, oh, movies. movies. Um, so from him, I was really, I was really getting into movies, and I'd buy VHS tapes and I'd watch movies on, you know, over and over. And Barton Fink was one of them, mainly because of Turturro and John Goodman were phenomenal. The cinematography, that sort of brownish palette, was amazing. But Steve Buscemi is Chet the yeah, Bellboy, yeah, right. Uh, if you need anything, Chet, and he'd slide the card again, <laughs> Chet. And I was like, I want to play character. I want to play Chet. I want to mm. get into that world and see what it's all about. And and uh, I I got some auditions and was just terrible. Um, and then I saw you in a movie before Mall Reds. Me Vita Loca. Yes. And uh, Allison Anders. Allison Anders. Chris Pastris, with whom I started Stereo Skateboards, thirty years ago this year. By uh, that didn't get as much love as the birthday, but it got yeah, love. Fuck you guys. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris Pastris um, was dating. I think. I think at the time he was dating Tiffany Anders, Allison's uh, daughter, and we were hanging out with Spike Jones a lot because he was shooting a lot of skateboard photography. You know, he was a big skateboard photographer and all that stuff. Spike Jones, the guy who became the yeah, who Academy became Award the, winning yeah, exactly. writer. He, he started out as a BMX photographer, then a skate photographer. And then he co-directed a, a video called Video Days that I was in that came out in 1991. And from that, he got Tamara Davis's attention. She directed a Sonic Youth video and had Spike shoot all the skate footage for that music video. And I was in that music video. So that was kind of my first acting gig, I think. But anyway, uh, so we were, we were, we played, we were extras in like a scene. There was no dialogue in, in a, in a. Yeah, in, it's very silent, Bob. Yeah, yeah. But there was, it was a dolly shot and I'm <laughs> standing there. It's Chris Pastris and we're trying to get weed from like a gangster dude by giving him CDs. And he's basically like, that's not going to work. Um, but the camera's moving on the dolly track, and I'm straight up pulling the Pee Wee Herman thing. Remember at the end of uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, he, he's, he's looking into the camera? Paging Mr. Herman. And he's looking into the camera. That was me, basically. The camera's moving on the dolly track, and I'm like... <laughs> You're like, cut. Should that be moving? <laughs> so right out of the gate, I was a total natural. <laughs> um, uh, and then, uh, and then uh, a little movie called Mall Rats would, would, would yeah. have happened there, right? Now that comes together. Um, that comes together after a little movie called uh, Clerks. Had you seen Clerks before? I you saw auditioned? Clerks at the Lemley Sunset Five on Sunset and Crescent Heights. Did you see it because you were coming in from all rats or did you see it? Cause it was, I was like, I got to audition for this guy. I guess I'll go watch his previous film, whatever. No, no. Everybody was talking about it. So you went to see it. I did. I where did, did it, in a world where you were like, I like the Coen brothers and Vim vendors. Where did you, it was really good. Of course, slacker came to mind and El Mariachi and just that kind of vibe of like 
grainy indie filmmaking. It was everybody was really excited about it. What I'm hearing is it was no Paris, Texas. That's what I'm fucking hearing. <laughs> it was it was it was Jersey's Paris, Texas. Oh, there you go. Well done. <laughs> but every, it, the the theater was packed. It was of course a huge hit, and it was. Uh, I was like, oh, this is this guy's good. This guy's good. Little did I know, mall rats would be a little bit different than than the glory that that was Clerks. Um, <laughs> Our glory was delayed. <laughs> we got our flowers a little late, but we got them before we died. It, that's true. That's that, that, that's true. Um, what brings us together is a casting agent by the name of Don Phillips, who just before we came down, uh, we were bullshitting about the passes that we always do when we mentioned Phillips. And Lee was just like, oh, he just died, didn't he? And I was like, what? And I didn't know Don Phillips passed away at uh, at age 80 in last, last year, last yeah. year 2021, mm -hmm. the talent of the year. Now, Don Phillips is a, a legend. Um, he was a producer, uh, but he was a, a genius casting director who discovered, uh, for my money, three of the fucking, you know, most interesting fucking actors of the last 50 years. He's the guy who discovered Sean Penn. He's the guy who discovered McConaughey, and he's the guy who discovered Jason Lee. Essentially. You don't think so? No. Ben Affleck. No. No. He didn't. Um, yeah, Don cast at Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Dazed and Confused. I mean, yeah. that's just those two, right? I think are pretty. He was uh, friends with Jim Jacks. Jim Jacks was our producer, and Jacks was like, "We need a young, a, somebody who knows youth, man." Don knows everybody. Don, you know, Don, like you know, like you know, Sean Penn, like you know, like he's he's the guy. So he brought Don in. We met with Don. He was a lovely fucking dude and stuff. He'd been around forever. Like he could tell you stories about Melvin and Howard. We were big like fucking Melvin and Howard fans and stuff. So he was like, he worked on that. He he'd been around and stuff. So he saw all of young Hollywood. First he saw them for a meeting, and then if he dug you or thought you were interesting, then he brought you in for an audition with, with me and, and Moj. So I guess he knew you because of... Yeah, I had a friend that knew him that got me in to meet him. And I, ha I had just had my first uh, and only, or no, my first signature skateboard shoe come out from airwalk shoes yeah. and i was just so naive and just dumb and i didn't know anything about the industry and acting and all of that i literally thought by bringing free pairs of shoes to don phillips that i might have an easier shot at getting in the movie <laughs> like you don't skateboard by chance do you mr phillips <laughs> Cause I, you're, you look like you're about a size nine. Let me pull. <laughs> let me see what I have in my backpack here. I literally brought a backpack with Jason Lee's skateboard <laughs> shoes in it. And like, Don this was will, like, this I will, don't skate. This will stop your ankle from rolling, Don. <laughs> yeah. You know how when you kickflip sometimes and you're all in a son of a bitch and suddenly you fucking lose it. So I was told uh, that he thought I was a nice kid, but of course not an actor, but he would do my friend a favor and have me come back and read for Kevin. So Don is really uh, all, all love and praise to, to, to Don Phillips. Yeah, he I don't th to be to be fair. I don't think he was like, this guy's fucking got something. I think he was like, look, I'm going to do a solid here and stuff. 
Oh, it was a total favor. Yeah. Like, because when we were like, we want that guy. Because I remember he came in, Lee comes in, and you know Don Phillips set us up before Lee came in. He's like, uh, this kid's never acted before. And I was like, that's all right. We just made our first movie a minute ago. <laughs> so that'll work and stuff. So he brought him in. And, you know, me and Mosier had, had seen all of fucking young Hollywood and stuff. Famous fuckers. Fuckers who went on to, like, way bigger careers and shit. And, you know, we didn't really relate to anybody. Like, there was nobody that you were like, oh, shit. They look, I would like to hang out with that person in real life. Jason Lee came in and was, like, just nice sincere like inquisitive like why does why does brody say the things he says <laughs> you know i was like i don't know you got two hours i guess i could explain it sure but you know we everybody who came in to audition they didn't audition for like a part like a brody he didn't you get to pick his part and say i'm gonna come in for that all the girls came in and read for brandy and all the boys came in and read for ts so we chit-chatted with him for a while before the thing began and then, you know, talked about professional skateboarding and I was fascinated. I was like, you retired? Fucking, you're, you're so young and shit. And he was like, I was, I was skateboarding at a professional level for nine years. And I was like, all right, all right. Like, <laughs> I buy it. Hey, he retired. Hey, back off, Kevin. <laughs> he was giving me a visual kickflip and shit. So um, he, comes, uh, he comes in and we thought he was darling and then he reads. And I was... Uh, terrible he was he wasn't it wasn't honestly like i don't remember the first read because i you reading ts wouldn't have made sense anyway like you didn't really have the ts qualities you were fucking brody so he read ts and he totally read fine he didn't read like this motherfucker's never acted before but so he leaves and we're like later on man and he takes off and don phillips comes in you know after he walks jason out he's like what do we think and I was like, I don't think he's right for the movie, but like, have him come back. He was cool. <laughs> you know, and I'd never, I'd never cast something before. And Don Phillips was just like, well, that's, you don't, you're not casting for friends here. You're <laughs> casting for a movie. I was like, I, I don't know, but he ain't right for the TS part, but maybe something else. Like, there's something about him. He's interesting. It's like, all right, I'll bring him back. And so he brought him back. When he brought him back, I was like, let's have him read Brody just for shits and giggles. He's clearly not TS. Let's have him read Brody. So we, he came in, he was like, hey man. And then we were like, hey, welcome back and shit. We chit chatted and we were like, told him all the shit me and Scott said since we last saw him about him being a professional skateboarder and shit like that. And then we were like, we're gonna have you read Brody. That's the other guy. And he was like, okay. And he read the, read the part. And there was a sequence that we cut out. Um, it's in the cut scenes or in the extended version of Ball Rats where uh, the like uh, Brody's outside Svenning's house and he starts talking to a news reporter and he's feeding all this min misinformation and shit like that. And at one point, he's talking about how they had a black mass in their house. He's alleging that the Svennings are Satanists. And he's like, one time I was there and the, they had a black mass. And that's how he said it. He held it out like he was a fucking sheep. Like, they had a black mass. And I fucking thought it was adorable. And like, you know, after we were like, all right, man, good, great job. Thanks for coming in and shit. And he left. And after he left, me and Mosier looked at each other and we were like, black mass. <laughs> I was like, right? That was fucking hysterical, man. Like fucking, 
everyone, you know, it was great. Like it's the first time maybe I've heard Brody speak out loud and shit, like because it was all TSs up till there. And to hear that line, I was like, fucking hey, man, that was, that was kind of funny. Don comes in, he goes, what'd you think? And I was like, I, I don't know if he's Brody, but bring him back in, man. He's like, <laughs> good fucking dude. So he came back in and shit. When he came in the third time, we were like, hey, Black Mass. And, and he was just like, what? You know, because that was our name for him, but he hadn't been exposed to it yet. And I was like, oh, when you auditioned, you said Black Mass. Like you held it out and it's fucking rocks, man. That's why we brought you back. And he was like, oh, okay. And so when he fucking did the scene again, he leaned so far into like, oh, they like this? Well, we'll check this out. Black Mass. So after his, his third audition, he takes off and shit, and Phillips comes back in, and he's like, what do you think? I was like, honestly, like, I think he could be Brody. I think that guy could totally be fucking Brody. The way he says black mass, he's... <laughs> I was like, that's a fucking, that's the way a movie star says shit. Like, oh yeah, man, fucking, yeah. And he's like, he's never acted before. I was like, hey, he's got a fucking, he just retired from professional skateboarding. <laughs> He probably carries a fucking pal brawl to audience on his back and shit like that, man. They're going to be ollieing into the theaters and shit. <laughs> so there was one other cat um, whose name escapes me. He's not, he, it's not like, and that cat became, you know, fucking uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet. But <laughs> there was one other cat who in the auditions, like from the first time he came in, we're like, oh my God, that's totally Brody. That's, there's, there's your Brody and shit. And Don Phillips, God bless him, like had this... Uh, way that he liked to audition. Um, he did it for Days and Confused, apparently, and he did it on Mallrats as well. Um, when you had multiple parts for teenagers or 20-somethings, he had them all come in for what he called the pizza party. So he would have multiple people for each part who'd be standing, like, you know, waiting, and they might be forced to act with each other as different parts. Um, I'd, again, I'd never done auditions before, you know, other than what we did for Clerks in the First Avenue Playhouse. So I was like, well, this is a professional. He must know. I've heard from so many people afterwards and shit. Like, fucking, like, that was one of the most traumatizing moments of my life. Like, that pizza party. Joey hated it. Was it was a long day, man. Yeah. It was like eight hours or something. It, it was like something out of, like, remember the scene in, well, fucking, most people, I, I talk about it. Like, remember because it just happened, but fucking, remember that movie Fame came out in the 80s and shit? <laughs> <laughs> like, when they were trying to get in the school the whole like first act of the movie is like kids auditioning to get into the school and shit and it felt like as long as that it just kept going but it wasn't bad for me because i was hearing my dialogue come to life and we were literally picking the cast of what would be fucking but my I second think, movie Kevin, if i may interject yeah here, please do um they would kind of go like oh, okay, okay, you can go now into they, the like mic. they let people go throughout the day in that kind of way it was like Very so true. you were just constantly waiting to see if you were going to be that person they say, hey, yeah, thank you so much for you coming. Get you, you can go, you can go, yeah. you can go. Yeah, you don't know how and to then over pussy. the course you get of, the tap. Yeah, you get the tap, and then you're done, and oh, shit. So you, you go in and you read with somebody, and then you go outside, and you're waiting to see if you get the tap, the release, yep. or if you're going to stick around. So it's re it was really, really nerve-wracking, and you slowly see people... Like on a reality show, they fire people. Like your cooking sucks. Fuck off. <laughs> that, you know that. That's kind of what it was like. Like, am I still 
good? Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> you were there a long time, and there was pizza, but you didn't partake in the I, pizza. Because you were so, I was so nervous. Everybody was so nervous and exhausted, emotionally exhausted, mentally exhausted, physically. Nobody ate the pizza. Nobody ate the sad Domino's, you know? <laughs> if you're going to have a pizza party, order something Italian, not fucking Pizza Hut, Don. Rest in peace. Yeah, really. Uh, the man who discovered Jason Lee, ladies and gentlemen. So um, the, during the day, the uh, like, look, Jason Muse was forced to audition for Jay against other people, including um, uh, Seth Green and Brecken Meyer, the two kids from fucking uh, from uh, Robot Chicken. They and they didn't want to do it. Like I, I remember when Seth came into audition, he was just like, "The guy who played this part in Clerks is brilliant." why are you recasting? I was like, the studio doesn't want us to cast him. They want us to cast an actor. And he's like, well, I feel bad even auditioning. And I was like, you should, because he's literally in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in my office with a glass to the door being like, would you take my part, Seth Green? <laughs> so, you know, Muse was part of it and shit. He was just one of the people auditioned. And um, as we went throughout the day, the other person who was like the strong Brody contender like just kind of not he didn't fall apart and shit but just lost his grip on it and like wasn't doing what he did in the audition and in this pizza party thing it wasn't just me and scott anymore or me scott and don phillips it was me scott don phillips jim jack sean daniels Cotty chubb fucking nina uh jacobson um from universal like the big you know the big universal and stuff like a a bunch of people. So you were facing 12 fucking people who were evaluating your performance. So this guy <laughs> melted down kind of and like eventually got the tap and shit, um, which, you know, must have been so like frustrating, beyond frustrating. Like I, I had it. It was in the palm of my hands, Marcus. And then he just kind of lost it. But this guy fucking just all day long, just black masked it. <laughs> Every time he came in, I was like, there's my little black mass. He's gonna save our picture. And everybody in the room loved him. Like all the execs, all the universal people and shit. They were like, something about him. I was like, right, there's something about him. So we got to the end of the day and there were like no Brody's left. He was the last Brody standing. And so, you know, Don Phillips, me, Don Phillips, Scott, and Jim Jacks, both uh, Jim Jacks and Don Phillips have now passed away. Uh, Mallrats is one of them cursed movies. <laughs> we lost a man who was 80 years old. <laughs> so we all sat around the office going like, is it that guy? Is it the, the black mask kid? And I was like, it's, it's hands down that guy. The studio likes him. We like him. So do we just, I've never done this before. Do we just offer him the parties? Like he's still here. Do you want to bring him in? And you want to tell him yourself? I was like, I, I fucking love to. This is going to change this fucking kid's life. He's going to star in a fucking movie. So they go get him. He's in the hallway. And we'd been there for so long, but I guess he asked somebody to pick him up some food, some burgers, because you had a burger. No. You had a burger I in your hand. And so he was, he'd come into the room and he was eating his food. And he goes, I apologize. I just haven't eaten all day. I was like, you didn't have the pizza? He's going, it was Pizza Hut pizza. And <laughs> I, was, I was already super snobby at that point. <laughs> I was like, little judgy, but whatever. 
But um, he was like, so I didn't eat. And so I, my friend picked up food and I'm just, I, I'm, I was like, oh my God, feel free, eat. And uh, so he's eating a burger, like a Big Mac looking affair and shit. And I was like, so we want you to play Brody in Mallrats. And this was his exact reaction. He's eating a sandwich. He goes, yeah? <laughs> he acknowledged it with wide eyes, but was like, I'm so fucking hungry. And he went right back to eating. And I was like, okay, all right. All right yeah, they know what? Well, perspective. Um, and that was the beginning of our friendship. Hey, man, let me just jump in here for a sec to remind you, jayandsilentbob.com, ladies and gentlemen. You want to buy anything Clerks related, anything Jay and Silent Bob related, anything Kevin Smith related, go to jayandsilentbob.com. Now back to the show. Now, he comes out to Minnesota. Um, not your first, you, you spent time on the Days of Confused set as a bystander, as a friend. Uh But this is the first time you're on a movie set as an actor. Uh A mere year after you sat on a movie set as a bystander, Mm -hmm. you're not only in the movie as an actor, but you're fucking one of the two leads. Not fucking one of the two leads. You are. (laughs) We'll get to that. I don't remember that. (laughs) It's that whole elevator seat. Um, You are one of the two leads in in the motion picture. So we bring everybody out. We do a month of rehearsals. We're staying in Eden Prairie. We're all at the same hotel. I went out early. Yeah, everybody did. I I went out before everybody. Because you were like, you got the part, but you're not really an actor. I'm going to need you to come out early and work extra hard. Yeah, so with I went Jason out. Mewes as well. Same so thing. it was just us before the 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 the, te- the talented actors came out. It was just us, <laughs> right? <laughs> before the pros came out. Really? One yeah, on I one? went out early. But one on and one you, rehearsal. You you locked me in my fucking hotel room and made me go over my dialogue all day. Well, it fucking worked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> But you are so right to do that because you fucking write a lot of dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> and it take it t- took me a long time to memorize it, you know. That was my first time having to memorize dialogue. Well, it was it was what if you read the Mallrats script, the one we went into production with. It's just like Ma- uh, Clerks is very much Dante's story. Uh Mallrats is very much TS's story. And just like Randall is Dante's friend and sidekick, Brody was T.S.'s friend and sidekick. Uh, So technically, like, second lead, if one had to break it down. The thrust of the story is going to be told through T.S.'s eyes. Jason, over the course of not just rehearsal, but when we were shooting, we start shooting, and it's a studio picture. They're sending dailies back to Los Angeles. So everybody in Los Angeles is watching the performance and, and watching it take, take shape. And we just keep getting love back for Brody. Like this kid, Jason Lee's fucking amazing. Like fucking Mr. Black Mass, he's fantastic. <laughs> and so slowly, like, you know, if you look at Mallrats, look at the poster, watch the movie, it feels like it's Brody's movie. It shifted in that way because the performance was so strong. It's not, I'm not lowering you know, um, fucking Jeremy and saying like, he, he did a bad job. And so it's just this guy 
shone so fucking brightly that Brody shone even brighter. And suddenly you're like, well, I guess it's really Brody's story, you know, to the point where it's like Brody's front and center on the poster. So we're rehearsing. Uh, we bring out Jason Muse at a certain point. You meet Muse, come tight with him. And we're all staying at the same hotel. We're all young and shit. Um, when we start shooting the movie, he shifts into like pro mode. He doesn't come across like, I don't know how to do this. For the guy who stood on Allison Anders' set and watched the dolly move, you never once looked at the camera on Mallrats. Like you didn't look at the dolly or anything. I wanted to though. (laughs) (laughs) But there was this confidence to the performance and there was also like, it's such a convincing performance that you think that like, oh, he must know everything about comic books and shit. Like that's what the NYU audience was thinking. They're like, this guy's gonna fucking talk about Iron Man and it's gonna be awesome. But you played Brody, and later on, you played Banky, two very prominent comic book industry uh, or comic book fan characters, without really knowing much about comics. Sorry. Into the mic. Sorry. Acting. What do you uh, uh, do? You uh, remember uh, Mallrats with the notes, with the yellow legal pad notes? You made notes. No. I made notes. No. Who made notes? Someone else gave you notes. Do you remember this? It was kind of adorable. And this is it's happened 27 years ago, so maybe it's okay to talk about it. I'm sure I've talked about it elsewhere. Um, one day, Lee comes up to me, and we're halfway through the movie, and like he's fucking crushing it. And he goes, um, Kevin, um, I was given notes by one of the actors. And I was like, do tell (laughs) what kind of notes like i love you do you love me he's like acting notes like i'm like what and not only were notes given notes were written down on three pieces of yellow legal pad a full series of notes for jason on how to play brody and you know i as a director I read them and was like, all of this is fucking wrong. It's counter to what we've been doing. And it would like, it it would take the shine off the perform. (laughs) So I was like, and Jason was very confused. He's like, am I supposed to listen to this person? I was like, no, I, I said, I, the way I understand it is like, I'm the director and you're only supposed to listen to me when it comes to just performance, not everything else because I'm really not good at much else and I'm really not good at the directing thing either. So, but arbitrarily I'm in charge. So yeah, you only take notes uh, from me. He's like, so I don't have to listen to these. And I was like, no, everyone loves what you're doing. Please keep doing it. Do you remember that? (sighs) I may have blocked that out. (laughs) Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was uh, like, I know better because I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. I, I do remember that 
vaguely, but I, what I do remember is feeling just grossly insecure when I got those notes, like, oh, I must be sucking hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was the what, It was kind of, I remember it being a big, I had no experience. So maybe I thought it was, oh, is that common that, for actors to direct other actors to slip them? No, I didn't really know. I was, but it certainly made me very self-conscious. I was to the point, well, I was, I was so new at the job that I too was like, maybe this is a thing. Maybe actors do give other people actors notes. And then, you know, I spoke to one of the other actors and like, fuck no. <laughs> I think it was Affleck. Affleck was because Affleck yeah. was the veteran at that point. He'd yeah. been on Voyage of the Mimi as a kid. So he'd been <laughs> <laughs> acting for years and shit. He was the one on day one where they were. We did a pre-shoot day where um, Shannon Hamilton is, is having sex with Trish the Dish and shit. And we shot on video. So we did it a pre-shoot day before the very first day of the of the official schedule and slide it in under budget it's a way to get a little bit ahead of schedule and stuff old the uh, uh, line producers trick so we shoot that sequence and then we wrap where it's like maybe shoots an hour or something like that and like that's a wrap everybody and you know because i worked on clerks only like fucking less than a year before or a year before i went and grabbed cable and started wrapping up cable and affleck comes over and he goes you don't do that here <laughs> And I was like, what do you fucking mean, man? We got to clean up this place. He goes, these are all union positions. You can't pick up that cable. You're taking that dude's job away. and You don't want to take a Teamster's job away. <laughs> and then he fucking, then he goes, but he goes, plus you're better than this. <laughs> you directed clerks. And I'm like, yeah, right. Fuck these cables. <laughs> so I asked him, I was like, hey, man, fucking... Lee got notes and he goes, no, bro, no. Another actor giving notes, no. If you're friends, maybe. He's going, but I don't even give my friend notes. I was, Who's your friend? He's like, Matt Damon, you'll never meet him. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he confirmed that that notes thing wasn't copacetic, which also confirms that it wasn't Affleck that gave the notes. It, it was Michael Rooker. No. <laughs> um, it wasn't him either. Um, I loved Rooker, by the way. Rooker was he, so wonderful. And we, he were, as a film fan, you were a Henry guy, probably, right? Henry, a portrait of a I had killer? seen it once. Yeah. He's, he's pretty amazing in it. So when he came to the flick, like having Henry, portrait of a serial killer, playing Brandy's dad. He was really intimidating, wasn't yeah, he? Very. And he, was, he also came in and was just like, some of this dialogue is childish. Can I adult it up? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I, I think if anyone's going to adult it up, I should take a crack at it. He goes, but you're the guy that wrote the dialogue in the first place. <laughs> so um, Mallrats comes and, uh, and, and like we, uh, the marketing campaign is built around fucking Brody on the poster. It looks like a comic book cover and stuff. Po classic poster now done by Drew Struzan in the day, on the day. Back in 95, did not help us sell the movie One Iota. People didn't know what it was. Comic book culture wasn't fucking huge and stuff like that. Um, so it, it met this uh, untimely early death at the box office. So after, before that movie comes out, on Mallrats, you had met Malcolm Ingram, who went on to make this movie with his friend Matt Gissing called Drawing Flies, and a few Mallrats cast went over. So you went over, Jason Mewes went over, uh, Renee Humphreys, who played- A tiny Trish. little $20,000, 16 millimeter black and white movie. That was shot in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. 
Um, beautiful movie if you've never seen it. Fun. They go black and white, and they go hunting Bigfoot. Um, J Jason gives a performance in that movie that is so fucking electric that it it, it it is. It's wonderful. You haven't seen it in a long time, but it's so fucking good. I don't think I ever saw it. You never saw it? I, I'm kidding. You I, fucking lived it. I know it. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't it, say electric. Mall rat. I absolutely would. As the guy who was like, now I could write him some real dialogue in Chasing Amy. That was because not because I saw what you could do in Mallrats, because what you did in Mallrats was like, you know, all the time. <laughs> Chasing Amy was like me trying to be gritty, grown up and graphic and shit. So I needed an actor. And the performance that you gave, particularly in the end, in the end scene in Drawing Flies, so his character uh, wants to go hunting Bigfoot and he convinces his friends to go. But he has a mental breakdown in the woods and he has this fucking scene where he's like covered in mud and he's talking to his friend about how he's not going to go with them. And he's like so fucking serious and calm at the same time. And it's your delivery of the line where you're like, this is huge. This is everything that I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy can fucking act, man. Like not only is he just Brody, but like he could be doing a lot more than I ever fucking gave him credit for. So at that point, I'm like, he's going to be my banky character in Chasing Amy. I, I didn't know. I knew that I was going to write this Chasing Amy movie. I didn't know it was going to be you, Joey, and Ben, but I started building the dream team when I saw Drawing Flies. I was like, Jesus Christ, like Lee can really act, man. That's good to fucking know. Like he could do more than fucking Brody and he's great at Brody, but like that's some real fucking acting. So when I wrote Banky, I wrote it with that performance in mind, knowing. So there's, you know, when you're on the stairs and you're talking to in front of bank hold up and you're talking to holden and you're going like she's seen uh things that we've only read about in books like this she's going to be the end of us and blah, blah blah that is directly tied to that drawing flies performance where i'm like well i know he can do something meaty here so i write chasing amy for three mall rats graduates i, I made jokes for years that like mall rats was just say five million dollar casting call for chasing amy the two hundred fifty thousand dollar movie but that's where I got, you know, Ben, Joey, and Jason. So do you remember, uh, and we're going to talk about Chasing Amy, we're going to end up with Chasing Amy because it's uh, the 25th anniversary this year. April 4th was the 25 years since the movie came out. Um, January was 25 years since our Sundance debut where they gave the standing ovation. And then April 4th was 25 years since the movie came out in New York and L.A. It had an art house release. So do you remember when I reached out to you about Chasing Amy? Yeah, I could tell by your face. Absolutely not. I'm sorry. Who are you? <laughs> I do a lot of podcasts. Um... Uh, um uh yeah i think that call in some way was bigger than getting mole rats why you, well because I, because that meant i did a an okay enough job in the first one right um and then you just sort of describing it's smaller and it's character driven you know it's more intimate and i remember telling you i was like this is more like clerks yeah. And you were like, well, that's good because I really liked Clerks. <laughs> I was like, you don't like Mallrats? You're like, no, I like that too. But Clerks is a film. This is how we talked in the 90s. Yeah. He was like, Clerks is a film, Mallrats is a movie. <laughs> 
And so Mallrats I was like, you're film? right. Mallrats is a movie. <laughs> that was one of, that was like when I knew I fell in love with Jason. When we were making Mallrats, Jason could be conducted like a, like a, like somebody in an orchestra playing an instrument. So, you know, I couldn't get away with that with like most actors. It's incredible what I learned on Mallrats, Kevin, because of the way we found inflection is so incredibly important. And because of Mallrats, I went on to just be so focused on the way dialogue is read, even on My Name is Earl. And just like I would say, <laughs> For those of you who are like uh, lost right now, Jason was on a very successful NBC sitcom for many, many years as well. That they fucking canceled. <laughs> In a world where everything comes back to life, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I speak for Greg Wrong. Garcia where I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Memphis Heat. We were just eh, talking. He, somebody just yelled out Memphis Heat. And we were just talking about how um, in New Orleans, you shot in, mostly in New Orleans. New Orleans even yeah. though it was Memphis Heat, it was shot in New Orleans. Memphis Fucking Beat. Hollywood. Yeah. Memphis Beat. Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He might have said Beat. I, I mean, said any, beat. There, yeah. My mom watched it. That was the audience that that show had. But anyway. But yeah. we were talking about how fucking in New Orleans, you could drive up to like a margarita shack and they give you a cup of Yeah, drive-through booze, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like a mixed drink in a plastic cup. And what makes it legal is that the straw that's in the drink has the paper still on it. And if you're pulled over by a cop and that paper's off, they can ticket you. But if they pull you over and the paper's on, they're like, good citizen. <laughs> it's a wonderful place. Um, uh, I, but again, I just have to give you more. Just I was giving you credit, Kevin, if you'd like to have it. Um, <laughs> uh, and you know who else works like that, too, is another amazing person that I worked with, Brad Bird. He directed ah. The Incredibles. And uh, there, I mean, just, you know, there's, there's one school of thought where you just say, oh, wing it, improvise, throw the dialogue out. And then there's an opposing school or on the other side of the coin, it's it, dissect the dialogue and work literally the way you're composing music, hit those certain words, the, you know, um, he went to the store, you know, just working it's on all that stuff. It's not a mall. It's the mall. mall. Show some respect. And the show some you know? respect. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 it's not a mall, all right? It's the mall. Show some respect. And the show. All that stuff is is rehearsed. And so even like I was saying on Earl, everything I did after that stuff, I was really, really focused on the dialogue. I need to hit the there of here. I need to go up here and down there. And it just makes for a kind of flow. So I appreciate the way you work in that, in that some way actors that we were able to get that. Some actors hate rats. getting a script with inflection in it because they're like, hey, I'll make the choices. No, fuck that. You love the inflection. You're like, tell me where to go I up. Like, I, I, I'm down for getting line readings too. Yeah. He's, he's good like that. Kevin would be like, hit the from behind the monitor with his sig, you know, and his mullet. <laughs> hit, hit the, hit the next. All right, action. The and then I hit the. When we start, I started directing Jason with my hands. Yeah, and I da -da -da. still, da -da -da. Jason Muse likes it as well. Yeah. Like Jason, it rubbed off a little on Jason Muse as well, which we were doing on, on Clerks 3. He's like, show me. 
So it's not tell me how to yeah. say it. He's like, show me. And I'll be like, no, 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 no. And he goes, oh. <laughs> and that came from Lee where he's like, how, how, how am I saying it? And uh, it was like, uh, it, the first one I think was um, closet, no, textbook closet case self-loather. Can't be comfortable with his own sexuality. <laughs> and so I think I was, you were like, I don't get it. Well, how am I supposed to do this? And I think I was like, can't be comfortable with his own sexuality. And he went, oh. <laughs> and so for the rest of the movie, he'd be like, and I'd be like, uh, Lee, try that line, do it like this, blah, 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 blah. And I'd say, I'd line read, and he'd go, show me. <laughs> and I'd be like, it's not a mall, it's the mall, show some respect. It, worked. It, was, it, it was a great partnership in that way. It was fun. It was fun dissecting it like that. It's funny, like when we'd go on to other movies and other people be around and I would be like, no, 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 no. And people would be like, what kind of fucking trained trim act is this? Look at this Beethoven motherfucker over here. <laughs> this, this actor working with visual cues. Is he a fucking Eddie on Frasier? What the fuck? Um, so Clerks 2, you come out and we do full rehearsal for a month in, in Jersey. Clerks 2, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Chasing Amy, rather. Chasing Amy... Um, is a far cry from what you were used to on Mallrats, where it's like, we're going to stay in hotels and shit. And even that wasn't a big budget movie. It's $5 million. But when you get down to Chasing Amy budget of 250000 it's like, we rented you a room in Red Bank. Bye. All of it was perfect. You loved it? Perfect. Whenever I pass in, in Red Bank, Red Bank Pizza, I smile because yeah. you lived on Red Bank Pizza. Like, we were like, Jason, yeah. what do you want? Like, Red Bank Pizza. And like, <laughs> you know, there are many more restaurants and plenty of pizzerias. It's fucking New Jersey. And he's like, Red Bank Pizza. <laughs> I mean, we, uh, Joey, right? And yep. Ben and myself shared a house. No, you were separate. Oh, me you, and, you, me and Joey your, oh, yeah. and Ben were in one place. Ben slept on the couch. Me and Joey were. I paid. thought, Ben, ben I, I had a house. You had a house. Ben Affleck was there. <laughs> He might have come over to rehearse with you because he'd keep his vodka in the in the in the in the freezer drawer at the bo at the bottom of the refrigerator. It, it, I thought he was. Uh, he, we shared. You guys rented us a house. I thought we rented you a house, but he wound up staying with us. But it probably, oh, he did. He maybe stayed with you from time to oh, time. Oh, okay, for for a bit. And then we rehearsed in your office, All sitting the on the like on the floor, just going over the dialogue. It was like rehearsing a play, or I mean, it was really. I mean, it was Super Sixteen. Budget of two hundred and fifty thousand, mm. like a, a a a rental house sharing space, and we all had something to prove. It was fantastic. That was the that was the part I think that made it what it was. Was like, you know, you had done Mallrats, but Mallrats hadn't done well. So you were like, I, you know, I I can fucking, mm -hmm. I can act. I'm an actor. Like fuck it, just because that movie didn't work out, I'm a fucking actor. Yeah, we were really. Hungry, you had something to prove. Ben yeah. had something to prove. Joey as well. And we rehearsed like, for a gives month. Us parts like this, and we rehearsed for a month. Do you remember the time I yelled at y'all though? When I got mad at you guys, because we were slacking a little. I wasn't slacking. It was Affleck and Adams. You're absolutely right. He's not. I don't kidding. motherfucking slack, bitch. He's not. <laughs> He is not kidding. He was on point and off fucking book. No, but book. we were we were goofing a bit. And they weren't off book. That and, was my And big we were thing. in Kevin's office where we rehearsed every single day of the week. We rehearsed for five uh, for four weeks and we shot for four weeks. We shot Chasing Amy in 20 days. Because the dialogue was just memorized. Boom, boom, boom. And Kevin Ke yeah, Kevin came in with a little bit of heat, but sometimes you need that. <laughs> 
Sometimes you need that. We were probably just goofing around and we were messing, me messing the dialogue up a little bit here and there, I'm sure. And Kevin was like, you guys need to get your fucking shit together. It was we were like, I, okay, I, man, I don't, okay. But I don't get shitty. Like I, I don't yell like Michael Bay apparently does. I've never been on a Michael Bay says, so I shouldn't say that, but I know people who have been and they've told me. So <laughs> I'm not a yeller or anything like that. How I like how I uh, show my discontent is very whiny, passive aggressive behavior. That's fucking true, Kevin. Yes. You know what? That Kevin, that's the first step, Kevin. That's yes. the first step. It's true. Thank, it's true. thank you for that admission. Thank you for that admission. There were there have been times where I've I've said literally shit like this, where I've been like, Oh, I remember when uh, I did a take on Mallrats, not to cut you off, but it, it'll be worth it. Um, I did a take in Mallrats and you came out shaking your head and you go, that was not good. <laughs> <laughs> Something I would never do today. But in the beginning, I was like, you know what? Honesty is best. What are you doing here? <laughs> hey, black mask kid. That was not good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's I, I there. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. I, I remember I remember being very specific with the dialogue that I wanted the dialogue, you know, delivered in a certain way. In the early days, I, I would line read. I was very like, you have to do it as written. And Jason always fucking respected that. Like, so he'd come and he'd memorize the fucking script and he'd be ready to fucking go. The day that we were in my office where I was like whiny and shit, which like, like here's an example of whiny passive aggressive behavior. On Clerks 3, there was something that like wasn't going the way I wanted it to, and it wasn't acting-wise, it was just kind of production-wise. And this was my, rather than like yell or anything like that, the whine was this. I was like, you know, this is my fault for just like making this a good time. Like, I'm just good time Charlie. <laughs> and nobody treats the job seriously because I don't treat the job seriously. And this is probably my own fault. And people get so like fucking, oh, I don't want to hear him bitch. So <laughs> I'll just do it better or whatever. But there I was in the, in the office and, you know, Joey and Ben were still on book and nobody was like, we weren't going through the scenes. Everyone was giggling and fucking talking and fucking around. And I, I got frustrated and I was like, you know what? Like, we don't have to rehearse today. Rehearsal's over. Like, everybody go home. And they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, man, like we're a week out and fucking you guys. You were right to book. do that because the next day everything got really, really tight and we were on our shit. Affleck told me he was like, I he's like, I went to the Dublin house and spent it was just a bar in town in Red Bank. He's like, and I spent 10 hours memorizing the entire fucking script by myself. And I was like, why? And he was like, I've never seen you sad. <laughs> he was like, you're always so happy to be doing all of this shit. And you literally, you felt like a disappointed father. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it was even more awkward because like, I was like, everyone go home. And Joey and I went home. <laughs> so Together, she's like, yeah, yeah. are you still mad at me? I was like, yes, learn your dialogue. So we eventually start shooting. And because everyone had something to prove, because we were coming off of, mall rats i had clerks and then mall rats didn't wasn't received well and so i was like you know i gotta show them i'm not a one-hit wonder that i wasn't you know just a victim of the sophomore slump or something like that that i'm here to stay i got things to say 
And that's which is why it's a big theme in Chasing Amy. You know, like Chasing Amy uh, does a lot of veiled poking at Mallrats. Uh, Blunt Man and Chronic, who are celebrating their 25 years in existence. Um, born, born, um, you know, drawn by uh, the great Mike Allred and stuff. Um, they were created in, in the script in Chasing Amy, not because I was like, you know, if I fucking stake my claim with not just two weed characters, but four weed characters, then when this whole country goes weed legal, I'll be fucking set, you know? Never fucking occurred to me. What Chase, what Blunt Man and Chronic were was an indictment of mall rats. That was Kevin Smith, the clerk's Kevin Smith, um, who was trying to be the chasing Amy Kevin Smith, filmmaker Kevin Smith, dismissing mall rats as a movie. Like that was a movie. And so Jason, Jason Muse or Jay in, in the scene at the end as they're leaving the diner, bitches about their portrayal in the book where he's like, you always got us running around, slapsticky, saying goofy shit. What's that shit? You know, it's, oh, snoochie boochies. Snoochie boochies. Who the fuck talks like that? That is baby talk. That was all meant to be like, you know, hey, filmmaking community, like, you know, I made my movie and I learned my lesson and I'm, I'm now back to making film. And it's so weird because it has aged so incredibly well. Nobody fucking knows it's an indictment of mall rats, but me. And I probably shouldn't fucking tell people that at all because people like mall rats and shit. But that's where it came from. That's where Blunt Man and Chronic came from. Years later, they're just like a fun thing we do on 420 and shit like that. Or the whole fucking uh, plot, a uh, pivot point upon which the plot of two fucking movies centered. Jane Silent Bob and Strike Back, Jane Silent Bob Reboot are both like very Blunt Man and Chronic oriented. Um, you were playing a cartoon. A, a comic book uh, anchor. Every every anchor in comics, like over the years, has come up to me and been like, "Thanks, Dick." <laughs> um, did you ever draw? What did you do to get ready? Uh, ready for the movie? Yeah, as an artist. I was too busy memorizing all your fucking dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> like, this scene is 17 fucking pages long? <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> I remember we had, all, all Red gave us uh, pages of artwork with like, just weird drawings of like Blunt Man and Chronic as if some story they were telling. And some of them were penciled and some of them were partly inked so that we could, you know, have the boys sitting there and doing stuff and make it look like they were actually drawing it and whatnot. And since, you know, it's not like we're drawing on a blank piece of paper from scratch, you come into the scene, if it's all pre-drawn, even if they're going over it, that's what artists uh, do, uh, particularly what an inker would do. And one of my favorite moments in the movie, it's so fucking quiet, but it's you two drawing across from one each other, he's drawing and you're inking, and you just very quietly tell him, like, you just give him props, you're like, this signpost, this lamppost is the best, it's the best lamppost you've ever drawn. <laughs> and it's so like fucking sincere, man. That's like great. for the rest of the movie, you're always giving this guy shit about his decisions and whatnot. But that's the one thing where you're ready to heap praises on him. And he just kind of, he's like, it's the one across from the post office. You know, like, it really looks like it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. What do you remember about shooting uh, Chasing Amy? 
Well, I was going to add to another uh, time that uh, I was called out. It wasn't with wine, though. It was with uh, your wine, as you, you know, oh. as you put it. It was with you know you. We were shooting at the conven uh, the convention scene, right? Okay. And maybe I was goofing around or something. Which one, the or end scene or the beginning scene? So is it like when you're like, this oh, one. shared moment, right? end of the movie? Yeah. Uh, and maybe I just was kind of being a little goofy or I, I was really re re kind of too relaxed. or I don't remember, but you were like, hey, Black Mask, come here. <laughs> um, and you literally pulled me outside of the set where we were filming and you were like, hey, man, just, just so you know, like, you know, just don't forget that you got to really think about what you're doing. Like, don't be funny, like be, you know, d just don't think too much about the, the trying to be funny, or whatever. I really want you to think about what you're, so this must have been a little bit earlier on in the, in the production. You got to think about what you're doing and really be in, in the moment and really pay attention to what's going on. And that kind of dropped me, you know, I was like, oh shit, yeah, I got to, this is a little bit of a different vibe here than a mall rats. Yeah. There's the dialogue, there's the inflection, all of the rhythms and all of that. But like, yeah, there's some, there's a lot more going on here. And that was, that kind of floored me. And that kind of changed everything for me moving forward to, to now really. So I appreciated that moment a lot. Fucking okay, nice. Yeah. Um, you, 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 yeah, that, that was the best direction you'd ever given me. In other words. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Um, probably because there's like in that scene, like, you know, you're doing dialogue to the guy who's talking to Ethan, sitting there talking to you and you're answering Ethan's questions, yeah. but you're really having a conversation with Holden. Across I was, the room. yeah. And I wasn't hitting it. I just wasn't maybe there. And you had it, you had it in you to go that it's, he's missing something. And the fact that you were so there in that was really cool. And you were like, you got to go, you got to go deeper. You got to make it more real and really be there. I thought that was really cool because we didn't have conversations like that on mall rats. No, it was more like da 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 da. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's what I mean? all, mall rats was all hand right? jobs and shit. <laughs> yeah. So, so we, 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 it was a different, it was a different approach mm. and we were, I feel kind of like we were both navigating that you know what trying I mean? trying to figure out how to be touchy feely touchy feely real and 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 you know uh have something have it mean something ultimately it's true because we were you know you got to remember we were in the very cynical sardonic mid 90s where like if you watch me in interviews oh i can't stand young kevin smith he just sounds so like he's everything hurts him so much <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're making this movie, but like, who knows? Like, whatever. <laughs> and so, you know, there had been like, you know, Clerks is a movie that celebrates, you know, fucking insouciance. You know, people like not doing their fucking jobs so much so that anytime I go someplace over the course of my fucking marriage to my wife, anytime I've ever dared to bitch about service industry, she'd been like, oh, do tell Mr. Clerks. I was like, fair enough. Just because they serve you doesn't mean they like you. Um, but I, you know, was um, very accustomed to first praise on the movie, on Clerks, but, you know, very like praising me for being Gen X, you know, not because like, hey, he knows what he's doing. Like, 
this fucking guy is like a punk rock man he picked up a fucking guitar played a few chords made a fucking song anybody can play it so there was no sense of like oh i'm gonna be serious and then the next movie was mall rats which is like not serious at all and in i read an inner a, a review of mall rats by matt zoller sites i forget which paper he used to write for the new york the New York Star Ledger, and he used to write for another paper, New York Observer, maybe I forget. But he wrote a review of Mallrats, and it was when it was on home video. And he used it to actually review Clerks as well, kind of a twofer. And it wasn't like a glowing review by any stretch of the imagination, but he was like, look, you know, sometimes a filmmaker is like when a filmmaker puts a hockey game on the roof of a convenience store. Sometimes he's not making a grand statement on the human condition. He just likes hockey. You know, and I felt very seen by that review. I was like, I wasn't trying to say anything. I just look fucking dope and shit. And then he said in the piece, like, um, the thing about the characters is that they're all guarded and armored. And he's like, but you can tell the filmmaker is desperate to wear his heart on his sleeve. Because his characters, as fucking hard as they can be or as like fucking cynical as they could be, there's always this like note of hope, this note of, of heart that like is underneath. He's like, he should really, with the lack of a, I don't think he used this term because it was 96 or something. Essentially, he was like, he should lean into that. And I felt like, you know what? All right, like I'm going to do that. I'm going to fucking lean into it. I'm not going to be so scared that the audience is going to be like, wait, you fucking pussy talking about love and shit like that. Like I'd already talked about love between fucking two dudes, like hetero life mate love, Dante and Randall, fucking TS and Brody, Jay and Silent Bob for heaven's sakes. Like this was going to be different. This was going to be like, you know, not like my girlfriend's mad at me. So let's go to the mall. Like it's like, you know, my, my girlfriend is a completely different person than me. And I don't know if I can make this relationship work kind of thing. So together we did kind of go you know i'm not going to say like we were brave astronauts but we went into unfamiliar territory like and and like i couldn't i could pull you outside and be like do this but even i was like i think <laughs> like you know i was second guessing myself not knowing of like you know shit i'm on firm ground with clerks and i'm on firm ground with mall rats but like this and these relationship things and also you got to remember like in 19, I know it was 1996 we were shooting the movie. Like our whole third act is predicated on like, like a guy going, we're all going to have sex together because that will make everything all right. Like it's, it's kind of out there, man. <laughs> and, you know, I remember writing it and I, Bob Hawk, who, uh, you know, was the guy who discovered clerks and stuff. He was living with us at the time. And, you know, he was uh, a guy who worked on the Times of Harvey Milk, the documentary and stuff. He was an indie film icon. So he was reading Chasing Amy Pages as, as I was writing it. And he's like, where's it building to? And he was so encouraging. He's like, this is brave. This is brave. This is, is going to be something. Now you're back to clerks and stuff. And so uh, he's like, what's going to happen? And I was like, I don't know, man. I've been, I was like, you tell me this is fucking weird. I think I'm going to have the... Holden character like suggests that they like have a three way so he can get over his shit. And that's going to be the fucking thing that blows everything apart and stuff. Cause he thinks like, Oh, I'll finally be like her. And she's like, I like all I wanted was you and you fucked it up and stuff like that. Very bittersweet. 
and Bob got so fucking hard, man. Like, <laughs> Bob was like, yes, Kevin, yes. He's going, that is brave. Make those boys kiss. So even in that, like I remember writing the scene and showing it to Joey first and she had just arrived back in Jersey from like Los Angeles and she read the scene and she's like, oh my God, like that's the ending. And I was like, yeah, I, I think like I, Bob seems to like it, you know, fucking like, do you think we could pull it off? So we were all like yearning for something more, for lack of a better description. We all wanted to like grow up and show people what we could do. And together we, we got there. And there were times where I was like, I know what I want. But then there were times where I was like, I think I'm right, but I got to maintain, like I got to head in this direction. I got to pick a direction. You can't waffle or something like that. So I remember like for lack of a better description, making an art film, like the whole time we were doing it, it felt like we were making an art film, like totally. an art house flick. We totally. felt it would go to the Angelica. It would go to Sundance. And then it wound up like going beyond that. It wound up being a calling card movie for a long time. When we finished the flick, Jason went back home. Uh, me and Mosier uh, cut the flick in New York on an Avid system for the first time ever, like worked on an Avid and I've never left them since. And put the movie together and started showing it to people. And, and like slowly there were like people going like this, this could like this could be something. I ain't, I, I'm not even trying to set up unreal expectations, but I've only ever experienced this one other time in my career where people are like, I don't know, maybe there might be something special here. And they turned out to be right on Chasing Amy. But they've like lately, and I'm not doing this to promote myself, but lately I've been hearing similar things on Clerks 3 where people are like, I don't know, there's something fucking special here where I'm like, really? Fucking this late in my career? Like. <laughs> Oh my God. But I remember on Chasing Amy, there was this push of like, no, this is like your, this is your comeback movie. And I was like, where did I go? And they're like, mall rats hurt. <laughs> we had showed it to the folks at Sundance early. Um, but Jeff Gilmore was in charge of the festival back then. And he was like, kind of like, I like it. I like it a lot. And some people at the festival weren't big into it and stuff. So it wasn't like unanimous. So we didn't know if we were in or not. And then finally, we found out like months before they closed everything up they were like yeah we want we want you to bring this here um you went to sundance for the first uh, screening of chasing amy were you in the room for that uh were we i don't i don't remember i remember I going to sundance and not being a big deal um, were you there when we got the standing ovation i'm not sure i'm not sure you might have remembered that yeah uh God, I don't remember. I remember being, I was at Sundance. Yeah. <laughs> Movie comes to an end and uh, like uh, somebody says something, like asks a question and we answer it very briefly. And then the second person that stands up is this woman who's just like, she's like, I'm just stunned. She's going, that, that was amazing. And like, I just wanted to stand up and give you an ovation she stood up in the whole fucking place they were all applauding us and shit and i was like oh cha-ching <laughs> right then i was like black mass yeah, yeah. I, I i remember now yeah i remember the standing ovation now and you yeah. fucking got so much love in the reviews and in the press like which had to be i don't remember what they said about you on mall rats i don't think they were like he sucked and he ruined the movie i think they were like he's a promising newcomer but chasing amy they were like this fucking guy can act man do you remember the reviews? Uh-uh. 
I do. You do? Oh, yeah. I used to read them all back in the day. And yeah, mind you, you we were you coming did. off of Mallrats, so I was really interested. Yeah. Like, Chasing Amy was a review-driven movie for us. All of us wanted it to yeah. matter to the critics and stuff. And you, it did. It, it did. did. Yeah. And your performance did very much. And, and it did very well at the box office, didn't it? It did. For a movie of its size, uh, we were a $250,000 movie. It was uh, earned $12 bucks. Uh, never played on, like... More than, let's see, 500 screens, I think, at its widest. Uh, two weeks after we went into theaters, there was a window where nothing was in, playing in multiplexes. And so, bam, we went into it and, and wound up earning like $5 million that weekend and charting in the top 10. And everybody was like, holy shit. Mm. So it did well. And then we got nominated for some uh, uh, Independent Spirit Awards. Mm. Um, and you won one. Mm. Do you remember winning your award? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All I remember is I was really nervous. And, you know, when you get really, really, really nervous, as I was on the set of Mallrats when we first started filming, you, get, you have that weird kind of tunnel vision. And you're just really I just got up on stage and held this trophy. And I said, I feel really good about this. <laughs> um, thank you That's so right. much. That was your fucking speech. The I feel really good about this. I feel really good. So, about this. I was so nervous. man. <laughs> I feel really good about this. Thank you so much, everybody. Oh, jeez. Terrible, terrible, terrible representation of the movie. People I should have been up there like. <laughs> there were some NYU kids in the audience like I told you. He was the same way at that Mallrat screening. <laughs> He's very sincere. Um, well, sincerely, uh, you remain uh, one of my favorite performers. Uh, in the world and that movie particularly like bonded us well Mallrats probably bonded us forever but Chasing Amy was the movie where I was like Jesus Jason Lee can fucking act act circles around motherfuckers and stuff um, speaking of Jason Lee acting kids um, we're going to go out tonight uh, with something kind of special uh, what is it? <laughs> no um uh, the, uh, we talked about Chasing Amy, of course, it being Chasing Amy's 25th anniversary, but we also talked a lot about fucking mall rats. And, um, I've been, uh, for years now working on this mall rat sequel of sorts. Um, the current incarnation of it is called Twilight of the Mall Rats. Um, and hopefully I can get this going this year, man. Like we've been trying to get this going for two years. At one point, Liz Destro, one of my producers, uh, was like, uh, you know, I bet you if you wrote Clerks 3, we can get that made before Universal makes up its mind about Mallrats. And, you know, because Universal, like Universal doesn't even realize they own this movie half the time <laughs> because this movie is neither fast nor furious. So... <laughs> periodically we're like hey we want to renew a mall rats license and like so what are you asking us for and we're like you own mall rats like we do we? so um hopefully we'll see, see some more traction but she was right we wound up fucking i wrote clerks three and we got it made in the time that we're still trying to figure out fucking twilight of the mall rats but since we got jason here and since like you know i didn't know what it would be like it was absolutely lovely you guys had a great time this evening so far The, uh, uh, 
I know him as a great actor, but this motherfucker is very uh, funny, charming raconteur as well. Your storytelling was real fucking tight tonight. Good shit. Oh, thanks a lot, Kevin. I rehearsed it for a long time. <laughs> so, um, he's he's relative, he's putting relatively new, fresh eyes on these pages. I've never seen this fucking dialogue before. <laughs> but this Sweet is fucking Christ. Would you knock it off? Nice. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Nice. Uh, this is the very first uh, Brody scene uh, in uh, Twilight of the Mall Rats. Um, and it uh, reintroduces Brody and Renee. Uh, obviously, Shannon's not here, so I will take the Renee part. <laughs> but uh, the one and only uh, uh, Brody Bruce will be assayed by the one and only Jason Lee. Give it up for him, ladies and gentlemen. All right. I will also read all the screen directions so you know what's going on. Um, you will find out what happened in the scenes prior to this uh, throughout the in the dialogue. But there are like two scenes that open the movie. Then we come to this. Can't show them. Never shot it. Um, <laughs> it's part of the problem I was talking about before. You might have been getting a drink and missed that. Um, interior Brody's room day. Matched to a close-up on a current-day Brody Bruce, asleep, sitting up. So it looks exactly like the first time we see him in Mallrats. A woman's hand enters the frame and knocks on his head. The same thing we did in Mallrats. Reveal current-day Renee Bruce, dressed and kneeling on the bed beside Brody, knocking on his head. Brody wakes, pissed, in a room that looks almost exactly like his bedroom in 1995. Sweet fucking Christ, would you knock it off? He closes his eyes and then he reopens them again. Wait, what are you doing here? We're not married anymore. She goes, hallelujah, your daughter's outside. Renee gets off the bed and looks at all the posters on the wall. Brody says, why? Isn't this a school day? Ah, oh, shit. It's not another quarantine, is it? I don't have any toilet paper. I see you managed to rescue some of your shit from my garbage. I can't believe you had the nerve to throw my life out of our house. You don't live there anymore. So the Brody Bruce Museum is out of business. Look at all this shit. You know what? I'm proud of all my professional accomplishments. Renee is looking at one frame in particular. She's bemused. She's like, oh, my God, you framed our divorce papers and my personal accomplishments. Well, you'll find no pride in our daughter's accomplishments today. Banner got caught with Gavin Hamilton at the Edentown Hotel last night. Doing what? What do people do at hotels, Brody? Go to comic book shows? <laughs> Why did we go to the Edentown Hotel on prom night when you asked me to sleep under the bed in case your mother burst in? She went there for sex? Yes. And burned down the hotel. Wait, is that slang for sex now? No, Brody, she literally burned the hotel down. There was a fire. Holy shit, really? Is Banner okay? Nobody got hurt, but the hotel's gone. It's just a big pile of ash. Wow. I mean, fire aside, that's kind of metal. Our kid rocks. <laughs> Your kid rocks? I'm glad you feel that way because we may be liable for all her damages. I'm going to kill that kid. I can barely keep my store open as it is. 
And I just got a second notice about the second mortgage. Shit, already? Yeah, you fucked us when you refinanced our house to move your stupid comic book store to a dying mall. Well, the stash is making a big comeback tomorrow. Brody, Brody finally gets out of bed to show Renee a poster for the Brody Bruce Comic Con featuring very Brody-centric artwork. He says, The Brody Bruce Comic Con will resuscitate my store. Your store is as good as dead because nobody goes to the mall anymore, bro. Maybe not since Amazon was invented, but definitely not since the pandemic. You're the last person alive who even gives a fat rat's ass about a mall anymore. Christ, I wish you showed half as much interest as in your daughter. Hey, I love my daughter, Jack. Good, because she's spending the day with you. No way. I got to be at the mall to do the press for the con at noon. Just this one time, can you put your daughter ahead of your mall and yourself? Please, Brody. He touches her face and he goes. <laughs> I can never say no to you when you say please, because you'll always be the only one for me, Renee. Then we hear a toilet flush and a lady emerges from the bathroom. She sees Renee and she says, ooh, you ordered us Postmates? This was just sex, okay? But you still have my heart. Brody says, uh, Renee says, Brody, your heart is the second smallest organ you ever gave me. <laughs> Renee exits, and after a beat, the girl looks to Brody, and she goes, I thought it was a good size. <laughs> Shit. Ladies and gentlemen of Movies Pop-Up After Dark, did you have a good time this evening? If you did, man, it's because of one reason and one reason only. You got to sit here and you got to uh, bask in the glow, enjoy the company of somebody I've been enjoying for uh, shit over 27 years at this point. Give it up for the one, the only, Jason Lee. And this is how we end the show. And that's Modcast for this week. I'm Kevin Smith. Jason Lee. Have a week, everybody. Good night, Hollywood. This has been a Smodco Internet Production. Sip only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>